It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. I wanted to talk about this subject for quite some time. I first read this article that we're going to be referencing on this episode of This Might Get Uncomfortable all the way back in April, and I found today's subject through social media, like a lot of things, we always reference gems that we find on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube. And before we get into today's subject, I want to say I don't like label myself as a conspiracy theorist or someone who gets into like, you know, the government is out to kill us and enslave humanity and destroy everything. Although they do have a track record of some pretty shady shit. I think that's kind of irrefutable. All of that being said, I have been constantly fascinated for many, many years with the idea of the ability to leave one's body. Some people call it out-of-body experiences. Some people refer to it as astral projection. Some people have talked about remote viewing. And to give a little bit of context about what we're going to talk about today, years ago, I remember hearing about a lot of really interesting government experiments, Whitney. The first one that comes to mind is something called MK Ultra. M is in Mary K is in Catherine Ultra. We'll link to that in the show notes at wellevator.com. Our website is W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com, where we will have the show notes, the transcript, all the things that we mentioned today, if you really want to go deep down this rabbit hole, because it is a deep and fascinating one. So the government for decades has been doing a mixture of looking at how people's psychology and minds respond to things like psychedelics, like remote viewing. The MK Ultra experiment was about mind control and thinking about how we can manipulate people's minds. And all of this is to say, in April of this year, this article on vice.com came out, which again, we'll link to at our website, wellevator.com, that there was a CIA report that was released in the past called the Gateway Report on Astral Projection. The fascinating thing, Whitney, was that one page was left intentionally missing out of this report. So you could get this report online, right? But anyone who was into this and found the report was driven batshit crazy because there was one page missing. Well, guess what? Earlier this year, page 25 of the CIA's analysis and assessment of the gateway process got released. Everyone's like, well, okay, big deal. Well, Here's the deal. This is an incredibly long article on Vice. I'm not going to read this verbatim. I'm not even going to attempt to do this. But in 1983, this document was produced by Lieutenant Colonel Wayne McDonnell, and the report was completely declassified in 2003. And basically, this entire report from the CIA is a tour de force investigation into the potential achievability for humans to achieve astral projection in 28 very dense, very heady pages, right? But the whole idea here was this specter hung over the report since it was released to the public in 2003. And finally, the version was released with this extremely crucial page. Okay, so real quickly, because I want to geek out on this, you know, astral projection is kind of interchangeable with the terminology of an out-of-body experience and remote viewing, which I referenced, right? 
And with the right guidance and prompts and technologies, some people believe that we can actually train ourselves and our consciousness to move beyond the confines of this space-time Earth dimension, right? And practicing this ability basically frees our human minds to travel through the universe, basically exploring a seemingly endless array of normally imperceptible realities and alternate dimensions, okay? So the intention of this report of the CIA, Whitney, was to try to construct a, a scientifically valid and reasonably lucid model of how human consciousness functions. And we've talked about consciousness in previous episodes, and I'm, I, I love geeking out on this. And the purpose of this report was to show how practicing out-of-body states can be implemented in the language of physical science and kind of take it out the realm of esoteric occult connotations like that. This could be a scientifically proven thing that we could choose to leave our bodies, right? So the U.S. Army got a hold of this. They were actually training soldiers to practice this, Whitney, to be able to leave their bodies to spy on other soldiers and other governments in other countries. So the army and the CIA were training soldiers to practice leaving their bodies to go and spy on other people out of their bodies. It's trippy shit. Okay, so but before I hand it back to you, Whitney, because I realize I'm just like putting so much out here. I think in the well-being space, the esoteric healing arts, we talk a lot about hypnosis, meditation, holograms, biofeedback, quantum physics. Well, this report from the government gets into all that shit. Like the woo-woo side of things that we would label woo-woo, like the government was way up in that ass, okay? So here's the thing about this page 25, again, that we will link to at wellevator.com. The fascinating thing about this, this missing page that just came out in April, right, is it talks about how the universe, they call it the absolute, is essentially the governing energy of all things. It powers the government believes that we're living in a hologram, okay? That there's a universal hologram that covers all of everything in the universe. And the report also tries to make attempts to visualize the absolute as sort of this egg, this one big flowing spiral that never ends. And the report gets into linking this between the Holy Spirit of Christianity, the Hellenic world's labyrinth archetype, the Hebrew tree, the Hindu arts. It's basically this really surprising report that ties in spirituality, religion, and science. I mean, this is kind of the last thing that I expected the government to release, but it's really, really interesting to see, I guess, the merger of this. And the last thing I want to say, and this is probably the part, because I've read page 25 with, that trips me the hell out, right? So the Department of Defense got involved and suggested that if the military were to continue to experiment with this, right, it could find a practical application, obviously, for military operations. We leave our body, we can spy on other people and get information. But listen to this. The report noted that, quote, people should be prepared intellectually to react to possible encounters with intelligent, non-corporeal energy forms when space-time boundaries are exceeded. Basically saying, if we're training you to leave your body and you meet non-physical entities in other dimensions, you should Bob, probably be prepared to meet those, whatever they are, energy forms, creatures, aliens. It's trippy as hell. So first of all, I'm curious if you've ever dabbled in sort of this idea of, you know, leaving your body, if you've ever had an out-of-body experience, how does this land for you, this idea that the government 
has been experimenting with going to different dimensions, leaving the human body, basically everything I mentioned, like, how does this land for you? Are you as geeked out on this as I am? Because I just think it's trippy as hell. It's definitely really cool. And it reminds me of Stranger Things. Have you ever watched that, Jason? No, it's, you know what? It's on that infinite list of things that people are like, you need to watch this, bro. And I just never got into it. Well, I looked it up because it sounded a lot like something that happens to one of the main characters. And it's basically what they do in the show. So I don't want to spoil it for you, Jason, but it does involve that. It involves experiments and this laboratory testing out astral projection. So you would definitely geek out over that, especially the first season of the show is is really cool. I can't remember what season they're on now. There's also a really cool, I mean, you'd like it in general because I think it's based in the 80s, late 80s maybe. I don't know what year, but it's just got great music and it's got a lot of nostalgia and it's fascinating. It also has cool monsters. I'm, I'm shocked that you haven't seen it, Jason. <laughs> Again, it's on the list, you know? But you don't watch content nearly as frequently as I do. I'm, I'm like sucking it all up all the time, We're always watching something, and you're like oftentimes months or years behind. <laughs> but that's okay. At least you have it to look forward to. I did find another article on Vice from 2016, and the title is, I tried astral projection in a flotation tank. You saw that you've read this one, Jason? No, no, no. But I've heard. So I've done float tank therapy many, many, many times. And I, before you get into it, I have had experiences in float tanks pretty consistently where I forget that I have a body. It's not that I feel I've left my body, right? That This is a, a thing about float tank therapy. I didn't feel like I was hovering above the tank or leaving my body, but it was almost such a state of like inwardness that I literally have had the thought like, oh my God, I'm, I'm still in my body. So it's not exactly the same, but it's interesting you bring up flotation tanks because I feel like it's such a deep state of meditation for me that I literally forget that I'm in a body. Different, but somewhat related. Well, maybe it's worth looking into it, doing it again and experimenting, kind of like that episode we did about lucid dreaming. It's interesting. I'm not geeking out about it as much as you are. I find it fascinating, but I don't have enough information. I think it's interesting. It's not something that I've yearned to do, but I'm very curious about it. And, you know, we, as we talked about in the lucid dreaming episode, it's neat to be able to experience different things. I think this is part of the reason where some people are drawn to drugs. You know, it's that like, it's entertaining, basically, I guess, beyond entertainment, how does it serve us? Now, you pointed out the way that the government might use it to do certain things. And again, that's that's part of the theme of Stranger Things, which I think you would find fascinated. And so knowing that, it gives me a little bit of the creeps. But it also brings up this idea, Jason, of wondering how much we're actually capable of as human beings that we don't even realize. You know, there's that idea that we don't use our full brain power, which I, I can't remember if that's been proven to be true or if that's just a myth. But I think it's fascinating to think about like what limits we set 
and going to this nature versus nurture conversation. Have we been nurtured out of not even realizing what we're fully capable of? In a show like Stranger Things, the character that is involved in this testing, I always perceived it as that she had these powers and maybe she does. But then I also wonder, was she nurtured into it? Was she experimented on? Did they train her in ways that maybe everybody is capable of doing, but they just haven't learned it yet? And I think that's a big theme in TV shows. You know, like there's so many TV shows and movies about people recognizing their powers they never knew that they had. You know, we're fascinated with witches and this whole world of magic and we're fascinated with all the superhuman superhero movies and, and TV shows. And I wonder if it's just this human curiosity and yet how many people don't even explore it enough because they're just conditioned into believing that they have so many limits. And then there are the outliers who are not afraid to explore their limits and they, and they're dig into all of these things and they want to just figure it all out, you know, and we often see them as like weird people, but maybe they're just onto something that we've been trained to believe is weird. That fascinates me. And, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious. And I think in general, human beings tend to be curious about things that seem to be secret, like with the UFOs and all these different conspiracy theories. Like we just have a tendency to want to find out the truth. And I think that's a really cool element of our existence, but, but it's, it can get a little tricky because there's a fine line between that and madness, right? Like going down this rabbit hole of believing something without fully knowing if it's true. And how much does that affect your life? You know, are you obsessed with something that you can never prove? Are you obsessed with something that no one else is ever going to believe? And we truly never know if it's going to be turn out to be true. Like that's one thing I've observed in my lifetime is the amount of times that something has been believed by our society and then somebody's able to prove it and suddenly everybody has to change their worldview, literally. I mean, <laughs> I was going to use the word, the example of the world being flat, but some people still believe that's true, you know? And it's interesting. I've listened to debates about it and and I do see how somebody could believe those things. There's a number of things in conspiracy world that seems believable, you know? I've certainly gone down the rabbit hole to try to understand it. And then I find myself coming back to where I was before. I don't know if that's out of comfort. I think it begins to affect us a lot when it polarizes us too much, as we've talked about on the show. I'm not a big fan of this side versus that side. And even though I might be on a side, I don't want to like cut the other side down and make them seem like they're wrong and I'm right or I'm good and they're bad. And I think a lot of these things like you're describing are interesting to just think about, to ponder, to be curious about, not to necessarily be obsessed with, unless that's an important thing for you. It does also remind me of another show that I recently encourage you to watch, Jason, on Netflix. I think it's called This Is Pop. Is that the name? I watched an episode last night on Autotune. And what's interesting about that episode is that it was 
designed by somebody who figured out how to automatically tune people's vocals, which was just a fun experiment. The guy didn't really expect it to do much, but a few people used it successfully and it took off. Then it became a huge issue in the music industry because some musicians felt like it was too much of a shortcut. But some people actually benefited from the shortcut because it saves a lot of time in the production process. So time equals money, and thus people were able to figure things out quicker, and, and maybe it's not as like natural, but it was also used in creative ways, and now it's very commonplace and accessible. But one of the interesting things in that story is how, is it T-Pain, the artist? He was using it, I think, in the early 2000s, and he was bullied for using it. And in fact, he was so shamed, Jason, I don't know if you knew this, but specifically Usher, <laughs> who we've mentioned before as a side, you know, we, we, we have inside jokes about Usher's music. And Usher approached him, T-Pain, and said, you know, this is awful. You're ruining the music industry. You shouldn't be doing this. And right, it's it's T Pain though. You did nod. Like I want to yeah. make sure I'm crediting yeah. the right person. Oh no, it's definitely T Pain. Okay. It's definitely okay. T Pain. Yeah, and he was so ashamed, Jason, from that conversation from Usher, that I think he stopped making music for years and carried around just all this depression and sadness and anxiety about making music. And he was just completely bullied basically by the industry and people tearing apart all the time. And he just went through a lot of hardship simply because he was playing around with this auto-tune feature. And nowadays it's so common. And then it went to a place where people started to embrace auto-tune. And he made the point how sometimes if you're the first person to do something, you're, you are made fun of and looked down upon. And then the second person to do it, suddenly they're like this big deal and they, they're so brilliant and, and adventurous with it. And you see that all the time. Like you see examples of someone that's seen as crazy, but then if it somehow makes it into the mainstream, suddenly it's really cool. And that pr original person never really gets the credit or the redemption unless it's brought to light in a documentary like this, right? Or in, in, in a major media push. But it ties into this idea, Jason, of like something seeming crazy and out of the ordinary. And how can you do that in this like human desire to say, oh, we don't do those things. That's not how we do them. And that limits us from experiencing new things and experimenting with those new things and even seeing what's possible. And I think it's really important to give credit to the people that are willing to be ridiculed because they are so passionate about something. And, and I think you'll love that episode, Jason, because T-Pain spent a very long time looking for that software after he heard it from the first time. He said he heard it on like the radio station when J-Lo was using it. And at the time, it wasn't in the mainstream. Like People weren't talking about auto-tune. It was just something that a few producers were using. And he heard it and went on a quest to find out what the tool was. And I thought that was an important element of the story because it wasn't like he just lazily tried something and it worked and he was like, great, like I'm going to keep doing this. He was actually passionate about it and 
went on to seek it out, got so excited that I think he said he cried when he finally discovered the auto-tune tool and was willing to put himself in a place of being made fun of because he really enjoyed using it. So to me, it's not that different from something like astral projection right now. Like if somebody wants to go try it, like people might think that they're crazy for it, but what's the harm unless, you know, the government's using it in some horrible way. Well, it also makes me wonder the actual reasons why we've been withheld a, a lot of information about these kind of things. And you mentioned, you know, when I think about like, say psychedelic drugs, I think about LSD. I think about ayahuasca. I think about Iboga. I think about MDMA. I think about psilocybin. You know, these plant medicines, whether they're natural or they're synthesized in the laboratory, have the ability to expand our consciousness. They, ha- I believe they do. I believe they have the ability to increase our awareness, increase our knowledge of self. And it's my opinion, again, not scientifically verified, that a lot of these things are illegal, not because of the risk of abuse, right? I, I mean, if you if you look at, say, consciousness-expanding drugs, they don't have nearly the level of potential for addiction as something like, say, cocaine or heroin, right? Or alcohol, for that matter, which is a legal drug. Like, alcohol is fine because we can monetize that and make a shit ton of money. That drug's okay. Cigarettes are okay. But actual drugs that expand your self-awareness and maybe even your level of consciousness, we're going to make those illegal. Why? Maybe they don't want an expanded human consciousness around the world. Because if people's consciousness were expanded, maybe we would be operating very differently on this planet as a human race. That's my opinion. I have no verification. But when I break through it and I look at what drugs are illegal and what drugs are illegal, it's like, hmm, I wonder why we chose those. Fascinating. But on that point of self-awareness, right, in this article, or not this, yeah, in this article referencing the CIA research, I talked about how they refer to the universe, the absolute, they call it the cosmic egg. And basically, they're saying that, you know, this whole conceptual thing is irrelevant until we possess knowledge of ourselves. And this idea of know thyself, it's the sense of self-perception achieved when a person can manage to alter their state of consciousness to the point where they say the universal hologram itself can be perceived. And interestingly enough, Whitney, we talked you talked about um, flotation tank. I've never done this. There's this thing called Hemisync. And it was an audio technology developed by a guy named Robert Monroe in the 1970s who developed a huge company to study the effect of sound and vibration on human consciousness. And he actually wrote a few books. One of, I think, the biggest ones is called Journeys Out of the Body by Robert Monroe. And so this company still exists. It is now called the the Monroe Institute. And I guess it's using like binaural beats and hemispheric synchronization where they basically put electrical brain patterns in that are stimulated by the music so that both the left and right hemispheres of your brain are equal in amplitude and frequency. And they're saying through these sound waves, through these frequencies that sync the hemispheres of your brain, you can literally like click out of this dimension and have an out-of-body experience through this, this hemi-sync 
amplitude modulation. It's really fascinating. I'm, I'm a huge fan of music. I love the idea of what sound does to the body. We can agree, right? When you put a certain piece of music on, you can feel depressed. You can feel angry. You can feel joyful. You can feel hopeful. We know the effect of sound vibration on the human consciousness is a very real thing. Like to piggyback what you were saying about music wit, you know, when you put a song on, probably how it's going to make you feel. I'm feeling low. I'm feeling forlorn. I want to listen to like a love song about longing, or I want to get up. And like I, I mentioned the playlist I created about all my happiest songs, right? When I put that playlist on and I'm having a shitty day, I feel better. Why? Because that vibration of the music is affecting my consciousness. So I think this part of the report about using hemi-sync technology and sound waves to basically achieve this out-of-body experience is really fascinating. I kind of want to do it. I haven't really played too much around with syncing my hemispheres. Like I've, I've listened to binaural beats and I've listened to different kind of meditation tracks online, but this seems to be a very specific combination of sounds and beats that links your hemispheres together, which I've personally never done. And I'm fascinated to try it, especially as a musician. I'm glad that you brought this up because I've been using music recently to help me focus. And I actually came across a really great YouTube channel. YouTube has a plethora of binaural beats and other resources like that, Jason. And I was thinking about this the other night because there's so many of them. And I recently realized that a lot of people will profit off of this. It's it's becoming such a popular study tool for college students specifically. They will go onto YouTube and they'll find like a three hour long, a 10 hour long track. And it'll sometimes they have like atmospheres. Like I've also checked those out where like it'll have imagery that makes it look like you're in a cafe. And just thinking about it makes me feel something. So they definitely impact me emotionally. There's some that are like rainy day jazz cafes and like you're like transported there, you know, and like there's something for anything that you could want, Jason. Like it's almost you could see how like this could turn into a VR thing, you know, although if you're using it to study, I guess that'd be a little tricky, but they have sounds like they'll have like a, the sound of people talking and making coffee and someone playing the piano or like the rain coming down, like the whole atmosphere there. And there's also all these binaural beats and they tell you like the hurts and all that stuff. But I was wondering like, well, I guess it depends who's making them, right? Because what you're describing is like a science and it's very particular. And some people say that all that stuff is bullshit, but maybe it depends on very specific factors. To your point, like the headphones you're wearing, most of those tracks encourage you to wear headphones so that you get the whole sensory sensation. And it also depends on the quality of your headphones, right? Like what are they able to pick up on and what's the volume and are there other things around you distracting you? So I think it's important to understand more of the factors if you're looking for a deeper experience. But I'll say to you, Jason, it might even be a placebo effect, but this specific YouTube channel, I think I found it a day or two ago. I listened to it last night. Today, I was focused on some things and like it completely changed my state. It was one of the best I found. 
it just like had the perfect combination of things. And this guy's channel has been around since I think 2012. I'll see if I can find it and uh, link or because so I can verbally shout it out. But of course, we'll link to it in our show notes at wellevator.com. Yeah, the power of music in general, Whitney, is such a it's such a fascinating thing, especially in terms of how it affects our consciousness. I go back to the experiences that I have had with my psychedelic experiences. And for any of the listener or the watcher, if you're watching this on YouTube, thank you. We have a two episode series that was in the first maybe God six months of this podcast where I talked about my experience with ayahuasca and other psychedelics. And one of the trippiest parts of my experience with ayahuasca with Whitney was the music that they played during the ceremony. There were sounds that were being played that I had never heard before. I couldn't identify the instruments. I didn't know if the voices were human or alien or animal. It was one of the strangest experiences with music I've ever had in my life. I remember when the music started during the experience, I literally had the sensation like I was sinking through the floor. Like that my like you want to talk about out of body experience, like I literally had this sensation that I was going to sink through the floor. So certainly the intention and the vibration of how we do things with music you know, in the frequency, the hertz at which things vibrate. I, me- I remember years ago it, it, that when I first got into music, the standard for tuning music, right, is essentially A440, which stands for 440 hertz. But that was not always the case in recorded music. Back in the day, they would interchangeably use, I think, 432 hertz, or even in some cases, 428 hertz. There's a whole set of conspiracy theories around why that changed and what the vibration of 440 does to us on a cellular level versus 432 or 428. We could probably dedicate a whole separate episode to that. But it is interesting how minor tweaks in the frequency of vibration of music can affect us very differently. And I've had profound experiences with consciousness depending on the music that's being played to the point like i said during some of my psychedelic ceremonies i was like i don't even know what this music is which was exciting and also kind of terrifying that sounds it's yeah, funny like mostly i feel excited and and fascinated but the terrifying element that kind of reminds me of that room where there's like i forget where it is but that room that is so soundproof that you can hear your body in a way that you've never experienced before. I love that you brought this up because when I heard about this no sound room years ago, I like flipped out and wanted to go. Okay. So the name of it, right? It's the anechoic chamber at the Orfield laboratories in Minnesota. And this room is so quiet that the longest any human being has been able to bear being inside of it is 45 minutes straight. And the room is so silent that the background noise is measured at negative 9.4 decibels, right? So the founder of the lab said, we challenge people to sit in the chamber in the dark. One person stayed in there for 45 minutes. When it's quiet, your ears adapt. The quieter the room, the more things you hear, okay? So you hear your heart beating, you hear your lungs operating, you hear your stomach gurgling loudly, and some people can, are you ready? They can hear their blood moving through their veins, Whitney. 
Can you imagine? Like, I can't even conceive of that. Essentially, it's so quiet that you become the sound. Like, all of your body functions become the sound. I want to go because apparently, like, people can't even take it. Like, it's so it's so quiet that people start to lose their minds inside the room. I mean, sign me up. Sign me up. I want to go try it. Like, I want to know what the sound of the blood rushing through my veins sounds like. So that's what it is. It's the anechoic chamber in the Orfield Laboratory in Minnesota, which I guess is still open. Uh, we'll link to this article on smithsonian.org. But I guess they te- companies test their products in the room to see how loud they are. NASA has sent astronauts to help them adapt to the silence of being in space. But apparently it's so quiet that people feel disoriented and they have trouble standing because I guess it fucks with your balance. If you're in there for more than a half hour, you have to sit down in a chair. That just sounds totally crazy to me. So I don't know. I don't know if you can like actually get a public tour of it. Oh, maybe I can click on the, oh yeah. Oh wow. They do have tours. Oh my God. Whoa. Well, you better come on my road trip with me because I'm going to Minnesota. So. Wait, Whitney, you have to go. <laughs> you have to go. There are three options. Is um, it open now? Yes. How much does it cost to go? We have Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. reservations only. The time in the room starts, the tour starts at $125 per person. But listen to this. They have the Orfield Challenge. It's $600 per hour per person, and you will be charged for the time you want to attempt, whether you succeed or not. A minimum time for this record challenge is one hour, and additional time is in one-hour increments. A certificate of time achieved will be sent to you. If you attempt this record, please do not expose yourself to loud sounds and music for a week prior to your visit, as loud sounds will call a temporary threshold shift that will reduce your hearing sensitivity and your enjoyment of listening to the quiet sounds of your body, like your heartbeat joint movements and airflow from your lungs. So I guess if you break more than an hour, they'll give you your money back. But if you don't, then you owe them $600. I want to do this shit. I don't know about you, but I want to try, like, this sounds crazy as hell. So I think, Whitney, I don't know if you're going to go. Maybe you and I will take a road trip to do it because I've never been to Minneapolis, but this is on a bucket list. This has now become a bucket list item for me. It's funny now that you've presented this option to me, Jason, I feel like nervous, like, maybe I don't want to do this. (laughs) Why? Why though? I mean, I don't know. It just sounds like something about it also kind of scares me. Just, Just this idea of like... Most people, the you know, can't handle it. They're going to go crazy. I'm like, do I really want to submit myself to that? Like, I think I'd be interested for five minutes and then I'd be like, all right, fine. I've had enough. And I don't know if spending a hundred something dollars for five minute experience is the best use of my money right now, but you know, I'm not going to rule it out. Let's put it on the maybe list. <laughs> I did find a link to that YouTube channel that I was talking about. It's called there's a guy named Jason Lewis and he runs a brand called Mind Amend. He also, you can go to his website and this is actually really neat reading about him. His main focus is on producing brainwave entertainment or he says entertainment audio tracks using isochronotic tones. Did you use that term today? No, I've never actually heard. I don't even know what isochronotic tones are. Well, he has all this information about it, but let me see here. So he first came across Brainwave Entertainment, BWE, in 2005. 
he was given a couple of binaural beat CDs to help improve his concentration. And he got very skeptical about it, but then he came across brainwave entertainment again, but this was the isochronotic tones. It was a different type of brainwave entertainment, and he could tell a huge difference when he used it. And now I'm like, huh, maybe I really did notice the difference between his tracks and the other binaural beats that I've listened to on YouTube, right? And again, I wasn't even listening with my headphones on. They were just playing on my speaker, so I wasn't even getting the full experience. He said his brain felt like it had suddenly kicked up a few gears and he was feeling some unusual throbbing sensation and warmth in his brains. He's never experienced anything like it. So he started looking into all this and he says he's not a doctor or trained medical professional. There aren't any formal qualifications in brainwave entertainment as it hasn't reached a level where official accreditation can be obtained. But he has done webinars and he got certified for completing those webinars. I mean, like he's very passionate about this. And Jason, you'll appreciate the visuals of his YouTube channel because he has amazing artwork. And the one that I was listening to happened to be like this really cool pug wearing headphones. It kind of reminded me of our show, This Hits the Spot. And in the background, there's like all this glowing lights. And it was like the perfect amount of visuals that wasn't super distracting, wasn't cheesy. It just felt cool. And the music just made me want to like continue my momentum. And the whole reason I looked this up, Jason, was because I've been exploring whether or not I have ADHD. An update for those that have heard that episode where I talked about this, I'm going to go get evaluated. I talked to my doctor. I've been referred to a psychiatrist. I'm going to go look further into an ADHD evaluation, see what's going on with my brain. And in the meantime, I've been just studying ADHD and trying to better understand things that support me. And that's how I found Mind Amend because there's a number of tracks on YouTube specifically to help people who have trouble focusing and people that have ADHD. So it's all been an interesting journey. And now I feel like extra interested in trying it out. If you go on his website, you can even download the tracks. I'm not sure if I would go that far. It's completely free on YouTube, but it is nice to support someone like this who's really passionate about it. And then you can even like, he has all these categories. Like I'm now, this is what I'm geeking out on. (laughs) The astral projection stuff. I was like, "Eh, I don't know about that. But this stuff, I think it's more how can I support my cognitive ability? And that's the big tie in here is like, I don't necessarily need to like project myself into different states of consciousness, but like if I can function better and feel more empowered and energized and, and just like feeling good, that's what I'm all about. Now, would I try astral projection? Will I think about this next time I'm in a float tank? Probably. Would I consider doing that room we talked about? Maybe. We'll see. Not ruling it out, Jason. I'm glad you brought this all up. It's certainly interesting. And hopefully it's been interesting to our listeners and watchers as well. Here's what I want to do. I kind of want to, you know, take a psychedelic and go in that silent room. I mean, let's just go all the way with it. You know what I mean? So, hey, Minneapolis road trip sometime. I actually am serious about wanting to do this because I find it so fascinating. It's kind of like, you know, if you think about sensory deprivation tank, this is kind of like the audio version of sensory deprivation 
So add it to the list of human experiences for you, dear listener. If you are vibing on anything we talked about today, astral projection, remote viewing, government experiments, states of consciousness, alternate dimensions, non-physical or non-corporeal beings you may have met in your psychedelic journeys, whatever you want to comment on, we always love hearing from you. Our website, again, is wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com, where we will link to all of the articles about the Orfield Laboratories, the Quiet Room, the CIA Astral Projection Report, my Happy Feels playlist on Spotify, in case you want to get down and get a glimpse into my brain, my musical brain, we'll have all of that for you at our website. And if you ever want to email us directly, Whitney and I love hearing from you. It's hello at wellevator.com. And if you loved what you hear, we also, as Whitney mentioned, have a second podcast all about our favorite foods, books, products, courses, discoveries in life. It's fun. It's irreverent. It's playful. It's goofy. It's excited. It's called This Hits the Spot. And it is available for any of our patrons that are supporting us on Patreon. Thank you so much for your patronage, anyone who's listening, and to our newsletter subscribers, although our patrons get more perks as a result. So if you want to check out that podcast with our favorite product recommendations, books, goodies, we'd love to share them all with you. We'll also have that link to This Hits the Spot and our Patreon account in the show notes. With that being said, we are recording this episode right before the July 4th weekend. So that means I'm dosing all my animals on plenty of CBD, and maybe I'll put on binaural beats for them. Maybe that'll actually drown out the fireworks, Whitney. Honestly, if you send me that track, hell, maybe I might try it. But something's got to give, because fireworks in LA during July 4th are no joke. That's it for now. Beautiful friends, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Thank you for supporting This Might Gets Uncomfortable. This Might Gets Uncomfortables! And we'll be at bad, bad. I can't. Oh, my God. I like lost all my speech at the end. Anyway, we'll be back soon. My mouth is going to fall off of my body. Take care. Love you. Bye. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 